Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And once again, welcome back to the program again today. Thank you for joining us every week as we continue our study on the book of Romans. I trust you've been following the teaching on the book of Romans, and uh, we've been uh, already introduced it, and we've uh, shared uh, just the, a little bit of uh, chapter one. And we're going to go through this book of Romans, chapter by chapter. One of the things that I absolutely love about doing television is that I have the opportunity to do what I cannot do when I'm on the road. I travel uh, all over the world. I don't pastor. I attend a local church uh, when I'm home. But uh, when you're in a three to four day sitting or a seminar, it is impossible to just chapter by chapter and sometimes even verse by verse go through some of these things that I just love being able to unpack. And we're getting so much response from people that are saying, man, thank you for putting these videos up and these podcasts up that we can go back and listen to them and grow. It truly is changing lives. And if you've missed any of these uh, and you're like, are you here something today? You say, boy, I sure wished I would have recorded this. Let me tell you that there's some good news about that. You can go to my uh, YouTube channel and everything that we have aired to date is archived there from the latest date and on. And you can watch them at your leisure. You can also uh, listen to the audio portions of this uh, in in our podcast. And if you have an Android device, you can listen to it on an RSS feed. And all of that is available by going to my website at lynnhiles.com. And up in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you directly to the links of that that will help you be able to study that. Let me just say this as well, because we do offer a streaming service for our Message of the Month Club. And our Message of the Month is totally different than the uh, podcast. That is a monthly message that we send out from somewhere where we've traveled and preached a message we think is relevant to that particular uh, time. So you can go there and sign up for that as well. Uh, let me just get into the Word here today. Once again, we've already introduced uh, the uh, book of Romans, and so we're going to start in chapter 1 and again begin to unpack this a little bit. Romans 1 verse 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which He promised before through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Among whom, uh, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, I like that, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he opens this chapter, he begins to tell you that the gospel will bring you into a place of grace and peace that will be multiplied to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as He began to declare that Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. What He tells you is that the good news is the gospel is squarely located in a person, and that person is not you. That person is Jesus Christ. You're the beneficiary of that good news, 
but he's the subject of the gospel. And no wonder Paul would say, I profess to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. And he begins to declare to you that how he is in fact uh, the fulfillment of the prophetic word that God made to David, that out of your loins will come a Messiah King that will sit on the right hand of, uh, of the majesty on high. And David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I want you to know that Jesus is the victor, and the battle is already won, and He's declaring peace through the gospel. It's not warfare. He's declaring the war is over. And if you want to, you know, a powerful three-part uh, message that we did back a few uh, weeks ago when I had Pastor Ben Daly on with me, who uh, was de- uh, preaching from his uh, latest book and talking about the gospel and how the war is over. And uh, it's the announcement of that peace uh, through the blood of Jesus. He made peace through the blood of His cross that we can announce uh, the gospel of peace. And then he goes on to say that this is uh, uh, to all that are in Rome, he's including both Jew and Gentile in this, in this gospel. And then he, he goes on to say that, that he would uh, impart some spiritual gift to you so that you could be established. And I believe what he's wanting to establish is an understanding of the gift of righteousness so that your heart can be established in grace. And I'm going to say this over and over and over again because it's so powerful to me. It became a key that really began to give me peace. And that is when I understood that righteousness was not on the basis of my performance or what I've done, but the righteousness was given to me as a free gift. I've quoted this so many times, but the Apostle Paul says in another place, he that, how did we get righteous? Because he that knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He who did absolutely nothing wrong on his part was made to be sin so that I could be made righteous with the same maid that he was made righteous with. He was made under the law. He was made of a woman. He was made to be sin. That we might, that we that were under the law might receive the adoption or the redemption from the curse of the law, because the scripture said, Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. We've been redeemed not just from sin, sickness, poverty, and death, but we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, him being made a curse for us. And so thank God for the work of Calvary. And as we understand, as we go through this book of Romans, we're going to unravel a whole lot of stuff as we get down through that. But his desire was to establish their hearts. Please note that in these above verses that this grace and peace is coming from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a grace coming from Paul. He does that to encourage the mutual faith. Remember, remember also that the Scripture tells us that the law is not of faith. Now, let me. Uh, he's trying to encourage the faith of these that are called to be saints. Let me read to you another scripture in Galatians chapter number 3. In verse number 11, it says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just will live by faith. Now let me go down through here for a moment. And I'm going to read that verse again in just a moment. But I I want to show you that he actually... uh, 
uh, kind of adds that in uh, as you read on down through Romans. Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to begin now in verse 8. It said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last that I might find my way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. I mentioned that a little while ago that I think one of the things he wants to establish them is that this righteousness is a free gift that is given freely because of what Jesus did. This book is not about what would Jesus do. This book is about what has Jesus done and how that affected me. And then it goes on to say, For I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that, I may inc- that we may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now this verse to me is very, very important because it shows the inclusion of the Gentiles and their need for salvation as we will see in the following chapters with both Jew and Gentiles, are all concluded under sin so that He can have mercy on all. Uh, This should be uh, an affirmation that the gospel of salvation was not just for the Jew only, as some uh, uh, from the Israel-only camp want to indicate, but it is showing you that the gospel message is being declared and a much broader. God just drew a great bigger circle and included both Jew and Gentile. He didn't exclude the Jews. He just drew a bigger circle and included people that you didn't think was included before. Oh, the wisdom and depth of God and the, the uh, and you know His ways are past finding out. And then He goes on and says this in verse sixteen. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." Not the gospel of Moses, not the preaching of the old covenant, not the bad news, not the sky is falling, not doom and despair and agony, not preaching you and how bad you are and all of your problems and your sin consciousness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I used to, what I used to hear preached, and even some of the stuff that I've repented from preaching on. I'm ashamed to preach it. I would be ashamed to preach it now, but I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel of Christ. For it is, what? The gospel, the good news, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. See, the gospel and the preaching of the gospel is preaching the way of grace and the objective side of the gospel. But the subjective side is that when you apprehend and grab hold of what He already did by grace, that through faith you simply not achieve, but you receive this incredible gift of righteousness so that we can reign in life. To everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for it is written, for in it the righteousness, see, in it, in the gospel, 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just will live by faith. Now let me just talk, go back here and, and, and reiterate that again, because we, we want to go back and say how the gospel is the power. When Paul's talking about uh, the gospel is the power of God un, unto salvation, that the preaching of the gospel was what would encourage their faith. And I think sometimes, I love it when we get together with people of like mutual faith, and we can begin to share back and forth the gospel. I get excited about it because my faith begins to be built up. You know, I think it's incredible. I was in a conference not too long ago, and uh, you know, a, a, a man of God, a friend of mine was preaching, preaching an incredible word of new covenant truth, incredible word of grace. And man, people were getting set free, and a whole congregation full of weary, tired, even Preachers and saints were being liberated, encouraged. The faith was coming alive in them. But it's amazing to me how you can hear one message of grace, and then the very last night of that very same conference, another preacher came in and preached a message diametrically opposed from a completely different covenant, from an old covenant paradigm. And the same crowd that shouted to that preacher preaching grace shouted this other guy down that was preaching law. And I sat there discouraged thinking, my God, they can't tell the difference in the covenants. Because what happens, you know, when I, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, but you know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, you need to show, you show yourself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To me, rightly dividing the word of truth is not being able to understand Greek and Hebrew. It's knowing what is truth in relationship to the old covenant and what is true in relationship to the new covenant. You cannot mix the two covenants. Paul called that a perversion of the gospel. So he's wanting to establish them and impart some spiritual gift that they have an understanding of righteousness by faith and not a righteousness that is of the law, the righteousness of God that was being revealed from faith to faith was being declared here through the gospel that Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection had achieved for us what we could not achieve on our own and then gave it to us as a gift that we simply Receive, But what I want you to see is in that last verse that we read, he said, for the just will live by faith. That verse is a direct quote from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses number 2 through 4. In Habakkuk 2, it said, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision, watch this, is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. Now that's important. But at the end it will speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I want you to notice it. It's called it. Though the vision tarry, wait for it. For in the end it will speak and will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just will live by faith. Now let me tell you that that's uh, what Paul was quoting in Romans. So he's saying to them, as it is written, the just will live by faith. Now let me just set this up a little bit, because Habakkuk said, in the end it will speak. I want to tell you that what Paul was dealing with is it coming to the very end of that old covenant period of time where the book of Hebrews talks about it had been abolished at the cross, but it was now fading away so that they were in an overlap 
uh, I don't want to get into this, but I think I will anyway. When, you know, when, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said that we're the people upon whom the ends, plural, of the King James says, of the world have now come. But if you read it in the New King James or any other translation, or you look up the Greek words, it literally says we are the people, not us, but the first century church at Corinth. People Paul was preaching to, just like the Romans. And he said, they're the people upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages had come. And you've seen me put the chart up on the screen uh, many times where I showed you two circles. Almost if you could picture the MasterCard insignia, two circles that overlap each other. If you could picture in your mind, this first circle is an old covenant age, and the second circle is the new covenant age. And right here where these two ages converge, there's a 40-year transition period where one was fading away and the other was coming on the scene, and it's what's called the ends of the ages. It was the back end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant age. So they were standing here at the time that Habakkuk was prophesying. That he said, in the end it will speak. The end of what? Not the end of this age. It was the end of that age. That there was a, there was a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last time. Not this season, but that time there was a salvation being revealed in the last days of that old covenant age. And just to give you another scripture, the apostle Paul says in Hebrews 1, God who at sundry times and times past spoke to us in through and by the prophets, hath past tense in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Paul called his day the last days. The last days of what? The last days of the old covenant age. I think sometimes we read stuff into the text and we make them shift way out here in some future time when we don't look at the audience that was there. Audience relevance, the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why are still important questions to ask. The Apostle Peter also stood up and said, uh, he said, you know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days saith God, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's not something God's going to do. That's something He already did in the last time. If you want to study more about that, go back into my my, uh, webinar that's on here where I did a webinar on last days, or go back to my Matthew 24 uh, series that we did, and you can get a whole lot about that. I'm just after this point here that Paul was writing to them, and he's saying that, uh, you know, in the end it will speak. And he's quoting this from Habakkuk. Now let me show you this as well, that uh, this this verse is also uh, uh, read in uh, the book of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read this to you. It says, Of how much sorer punishment suppose you shall be he thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing? and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. What Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. 
For you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense or reward, for you have need of patience, after that you've done the will of God, that you might, uh, let me see, that after you have done, uh, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense or reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. Now he's quoting Habakkuk 2 again. This is a direct quote from Habakkuk 2. He said, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now remember, in Habakkuk he said, Though the vision tarry, wait for it. But here in the book of Hebrews, he's showing you that the vision is that was an it in the book of Habakkuk is now a he. For yet a little while, and he that will come will come and will not tarry. Now, the, and he goes on to say, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man watch this drawback, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but them who believe to the saving of the soul. Now what he's showing them here in the book of Habakkuk, and in the book of Romans, and in the book of Hebrews, that the, in the end it will speak, Habakkuk said. And he's talking not about the last days of some future generation, but the last days of that first century that was coming to an end. I mean the last days, I'm sorry, the last days of that old covenant age, that was where they were standing at the ends of the ages, the back end of the old covenant age, and this covenant was fading away. And he is not only trying to build up the mutual faith of the Romans, he is looking to these Hebrews to build them up on their faith as well, so that they don't go back to old covenant paradigms and old covenant thinking and learn to live that the just will live by faith. Because Galatians chapter 3, I believe it is, as I read a few minutes ago, says but not that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident, and he quotes again Habakkuk 2, the just will live by faith. So the law is not of faith. When the law is preached, it shuts up faith. So there was a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, and the salvation that he was ready to reveal was this redemption that includes both Jew and Gentile. And hallelujah, he's telling them that uh, here in the book of Hebrews, and what's amazing to me is in this 10th chapter, he just got finished telling them, You've been, uh, you know, you've been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And by one offering, He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then He comes in there in the 10th chapter and says, Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. And He talks about entering in beyond the veil and all of that being accessible and something that's ours because the vision that was for a future time had now come, and His name was Jesus, and He delivered us salvation. So when He begins to talk to these Hebrews here in the latter part, and He says to them, if you, uh, uh, He says, don't draw back to perdition. What He's doing is pleading with these Hebrews who are about to go back to Judaism. And he's saying to them, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be, who, th who think that the who trod underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. In other words, he's saying to them, listen, you have endured a great fight of affliction. You've suffered the spoiling of your goods. Many of your friends have died in the arenas. People are dying, you're, you're, and it's, you've endured a great fight of affliction. 
But he's saying to them, don't cast away your confidence, because that which is about to come, that's going to come, he said, for just a little while, he that will come, will come. Can I tell you that the end of that age came, and the consummation of that age came within three and a half years, I believe it was, of the writing of the book of Hebrews, when the temple animal sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, was completely destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, and this system of Judaism that they were wanting to go back to, and if they went back to it, he said, you are trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant, saying it's an unholy thing, and he said, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of judgment. So he's saying to them, but here's a, he said, but I've got better confidence in you that you are not going to go back. You're not going to go back to Judaism. You're not going to go back to the Old Covenant. You're not going to draw back to perdition because wrath will come upon those who are under the law because he's telling them we've been saved from wrath in Romans chapter 4 and 5, but that wrath could only come as a result of staying under the Old Covenant for where there is no law, there is no transgression, and the law worketh wrath. This is a continuation of Hebrews chapter 6 where he tells them, having moved on, uh, he said, uh, you know, uh, he talks about, uh, uh, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of faith towards God, and of dead works, and of baptisms, and of laying on of hands. And this we will do if God permit. Now, I used to preach that text as being the laying on of hands and baptisms like we do when we're praying for people in church. And I believe in that. Let me say that to you. I believe in that. But that text in Hebrews 6 is not about laying hands on people in a prayer line. It's talking about the laying your hands on the head of these physical animals and these baptisms that he was talking about was their divers' washings to make the sacrifices uh, acceptable. So when he's saying to them, if you do, he says, if you sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin in Hebrews chapter 6. He's not saying if you've sinned since you've been saved, that you can never be saved again. I used to think that. Insane asylums are full of people who think they blasphemed the Holy Ghost or committed the unpardonable sin. But all of us have sinned since we've been saved, and we did it on purpose, and we did it willfully. That's not what that verse means. What he's saying to them is, if you sin, which means if you miss the mark on purpose, and you walk back over the blood of Jesus on purpose, and you go back to the blood of bulls and goats, and you go back to animal sacrifices, and you go back to diverse washings, and you go back to these sacrifices, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, what he's saying is not that you can't be saved. He's saying there's not another sacrifice or lamb coming. If the blood of Jesus wasn't enough for you, then you are going to be set up for yourself judgment against the day of judgment, and when you reject the blood of the covenant, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, and that fiery indignation and judgment that, that was prophesied is not out in the future. It came upon Hebrews who did not received their Messiah and rejected it again. And then he starts in Hebrews 11 and points to their heroes of faith and says, look away from this and look to your heroes of faith who by faith look for what you now have, because now faith is a substance of what they were hoping for. So the vision has not tarried. It came on the scene, and now he's declaring that since it did and that it was a he, the just will live by faith. Well, we're out of time. If you've enjoyed this and you appreciate what we're doing, take a moment to go to our website and sow the best seed you can. 
If you'd like to, uh, right there, there's an easy way to give credit or debit card, or you can scan that little insignia on the screen. It'll take you directly there where you can give. You can also set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. We need you to partner with us to help us take the gospel of grace around the world. You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the number that will come up. If someone does not take your call, leave a message and we'll return your call. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.